0: and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams.
1: Uh, Now that patients have been introduced to the service delivery, uh, once you give something, it's very difficult to take it away.
0: That's Nancy Enos on the expansion of telehealth as a result of the COVID-19 crisis. We'll hear more from Nancy on the pandemic's impact on medical coding and the pressure to keep up with such frequent changes. But first, a word from our sponsor. A proven payment solution for patients' out-of-pocket cost, the Care Credit Health, Wellness, and Personal Care Credit Card Gives cardholders a convenient way to pay for treatments and procedures at locations in the care credit network. Payment flexibility is increasingly important as patients may face economic and health concerns in light of the coronavirus pandemic. With promotional financing for purchases of $200 or more, cardholders can move forward with the care they need and want today and make monthly payments over time. For healthcare providers navigating financial and operational challenges resulting from the pandemic, Care Credit can help reduce time and effort devoted to billing and collections while increasing patient satisfaction. Accepting Care Credit as a payment option is easy and quick, and you receive payment within two business days. Care Credit currently has over 11 million cardholders and is accepted in more than 240,000 locations nationwide. Learn more about how CareCredit helps providers deliver a better patient financial experience at carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. According to a recent MGMA stat poll, 97% of responding healthcare leaders reported expanding telehealth access in their practice in response to the COVID-19 crisis. While convenient for many patients, the Care Delivery Method has presented a slew of coding and reimbursement challenges for billing staffs across the industry. Here this week to discuss these challenges and tips for overcoming them is Nancy Enos. Nancy, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Now, you're an independent consultant for MGMA. Um, you're also principal of Enos Medical Coding we're in a really different time right now and i'm just curious you've been in practice uh for more than 40 years uh what are what's going on out there and what are some of the challenges uh that you've seen and and challenges in keeping up with all of these changes
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, There's never been a time in my 40 years of practice management with major changes coming so frequently uh, since the start of the COVID-19 crisis in March. I think that's the biggest difference here compared to in the early 90s, we had to adopt the 95 and 97 guidelines and office notes actually were scored for stratification for levels of service for billing purposes. Uh, That was really difficult to adopt, but it was over a long period of time. And then of course we had many years with delays to prepare for the implementation of of ICD-10, which was a major change, but not as difficult as people really anticipated. Uh, They were introduced over a much longer period of time. This COVID-19 telemedicine change has been very challenging to keep up with the frequency of the changes, you know, monthly and less, especially since all these changes when they're introduced are all retroactive to early March, which requires us to get the information out to practices we work with as quickly as possible because they have to adjust their claims for services uh, that were provided and already billed going back to March 1st. And the way that they do that varies based on the payer's instructions, whether they go to uh, some kind of a provider portal claims uh, tool online and adjust the claims manually or send in corrected claims for adjustment or send in a report. Uh, I'm sure it's been a lot of work for the clients and it's been very difficult to us to disseminate this information very quickly. Um, after March 17th, we had the March 30th and April 30th revisions, which were 221 pages each. So to call through that much information and find the most important facts, summarize them and teach them quickly has been the biggest challenge of my career.
0: Yeah, for sure. And (laughs) you're talking a lot about medical billing and medical coding. Um, what are the latest developments then concerning coding and COVID 19 that you feel our listeners should be aware of?
1: The biggest changes that are going to affect proper claim submission and payment are the changes in what technology is required uh, based on the payer. Some payers don't require video, some do. Uh, there have been revisions to the place of service, and that's been a major change because it does have an impact on the site of service differential which generates a different fee being paid based on where the uh, service was rendered. Uh, They originally said to report place of service 02 for telehealth and then By March 30th, they said, no, use the place of service that you would have if the patient had been seen in person and then add a 95 modifier on instead, which would indicate that it was not a face-to-face encounter. So that did require a lot of um, claims corrections and resubmissions. Uh, Although it only occurred over a two-week period of time, from March 17th to March 30th, the eligible dates of ser- service for this went back to March 1st. So that was a whole month of code changes that our practices had to go to go backwards and, and fix. Uh, mm-hmm. The last thing that's really been um, impactful is the number of code categories that have been continuously added to be allowed for telemedicine. The original CBT code approved for telemedicine list from CMS with 101 CPT codes. On March 30th, they added another 80. On April 30th, they added another 45. So now we have 226 codes that are eligible for telemedicine. And you also have the changes in copays being assigned to patients. Uh, the cost sharing is eliminated if it's COVID-19 related. Uh, so that is going to come on the, the payment side when you receive your EOBs, you might get paid 100% if you put the CS modifier for COVID-related care and testing, and that will have an impact on your patient collections as well.
0: Yeah, um, one of the biggest outcomes of this pandemic from the medical side has been the rise of telehealth and telemedicine. And it's been something that's been on the cusp in healthcare for a long time, but because most states millions of patients around the country have been in stay-at-home situations, uh, that telehealth and telemedicine have been just uh, an amazing benefit for people so they can get some treatment from their physicians. So one of the things about that is, I want to get into some definitions here, a lot of people tend to use telehealth and telemedicine interchangeably, but They both actually have different meanings. So if you don't mind, could you give us a quick breakdown of the difference between each of those terms?
1: Sure, I'm happy to. And I'm guilty of using the words telehealth (laughs) and telemedicine um, interchangeably as well. But there are definitions. Telehealth refers to the exchange of medical information from one site to another site through electronic communications to improve a patient's health. So that really speaks to the distance between the provider and the patient. Telemedicine is the practice of medicine using technology to deliver care at a distance. Um, It doesn't sound like it's too different, but the telemedicine is really what we're talking about when talking about the office visits, the e-visits, the brief check-ins and so forth. How you're practicing medicine today is telemedicine. Telehealth really is a broader term uh, that we look at from the sky from the cloud, uh, looking at where the patient is and how they're connecting using technology today.
0: Okay, that, that is really helpful. Um, so as I mentioned earlier, we've seen telehealth so widely embraced during the outbreak and it's, it's left a few questions unanswered right now. Uh, it's left patients and healthcare, healthcare consumers wondering why it hasn't been adopted sooner. Um, why did it take a pandemic for some of these restrictions and roadblocks to be lifted? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, as a coding consultant and coding educator, I've always looked at you know, the announcements and the new information that I had to learn about telehealth and I always wondered you know, what good it was going to do, seeing that it was so restrictive in terms of the originating site. The patient could not be treated in their own home. It did require them to travel to an originating site, uh, such as a, a federally qualified health center or a rural health clinic or a hospital, uh, somewhere that the originating site could host and facilitate the connection with the distant doctor using a HIPAA compliant telehealth platform that made it difficult to author Offer telehealth services widely, the patient was restricted to being in a rural or healthcare professional shortage area based on zip codes. So geographically, it was not available to every practice across the country. I think that was a big barrier uh, where the facility could host the encounter using an approved platform is another barrier because those those rural clinics might not have the funding to uh, partner with a vendor of a HIPAA approved uh, telemedicine uh, platform. So the public health emergency has broken down those barriers. It does allow the patients to be at home and it allows providers in any practice to use uh, any available audio and video technology such as a smartphone. So that has made those roadblocks a lot easier. Um, I don't know why this wasn't addressed earlier um, in looking at the good it would do to keep patients at home in general. Uh, But I'm hoping that after this is over, there'll be a lot of consideration before uh, things go back to the previous stringent rules about originating site and telehealth platforms.
0: Yeah, we've heard a lot about the new normal uh, in healthcare. We've heard about it. What will the new normal look like for medical practices? What will it look like for the healthcare industry? Staying on this train of thought about telehealth, we've seen it take place now, these last few months, we've seen consumers get used to it, get comfortable with it. Consumers uh, and patients, they um, are going to have a strong opinion about that now if it just rolls back to what it used to be. So what do you think it's going to be like? What are we going to look like once the dust kind of settles here and we get a better handle on The coronavirus and people are able to move about much more freely. uh, What's going to happen with telehealth then?
1: That's a great question. Uh, Given the length uh, of the forecast on the um, inevitable uh, recurrences of this virus, I do see the public requesting increased access to telehealth, and I see the government modifying the rules to allow telehealth to continue to be offered more broadly. Uh, Now that patients have been introduced to the service delivery, Once you give something, it's very difficult to take it away. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many patients will opt to go see their doctors personally for some things that they've been missing right now, like a comprehensive annual physical exam, or for workup of a new problem that they're really worried about, they might not feel comfortable addressing certain things um, over the audio and video. But there are so many services that can be performed via telehealth. Uh, That takes care of a lot of um, adults who have to take time out of work to take their elderly parents to the doctor and so forth. Uh, So many follow-up visits and counseling and uh, for other reasons that patients would uh, need to stay at home or be better off staying at home. Um, I can see that this would be uh, much more uh, widely adopted in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, thanks for sharing those ideas, and, and it is interesting to see how that's going to play out. I know that you've really been in the thick of the uh, kind of helping people, helping practices with um, you know coding that's related to telehealth. You're going to be leading a six part MGMA event. It's going to be May 21st. It's on coding essentials for the non coder. Your session is a particular spotlight on telehealth in COVID 19. If you don't mind, give our audience here a preview of your session and what are a couple of takeaways that attendees can expect to, to get out of that session?
1: My session will focus on the expansion of telehealth. Over the period of three weeks from mid-March to early April, there have been several communications that have come out from CMS, from Health and Human Services, from the OIG, and from many major insurance carriers. They've made it necessary for providers, coders, and billing billers to quickly adapt to the new reality of virtual visits and to enable patients to stay at home. Uh, my session will review the timeline from the beginning through the incremental changes. Uh, the telemedicine exemptions, what's different now from the previous um, telemedicine rules, um, the importance of modifiers in place of service, and it will include, include other specific billing instructions for this historic period of time in medical practice.
0: Okay, Thank, thanks for that. I, I'm looking forward to talking with you at that point. Um, now, I wanted to ask you a question here. Uh, one of the reasons why it's important for practice administrators to understand the coding process is because of its impact on the bottom line. Do you have any tips for best coding practices, especially as it's related to telehealth and COVID-19, uh, that could help healthcare leaders and their organizations maximize their revenue right now?
1: Reimbursement will depend on the right choice of codes. Uh, The codes are dependent on identifying the type of technology used, uh, the provider type who is rendering the service, and most importantly, the place of service. Uh, Staying up to date on the myriad of changes to the place of service and modifiers will impact reimbursement and minimize denials for services rendered during this period.
0: Okay, now, Are there any basic do's and don'ts our listeners need to know about coding in the current COVID landscape?
1: Coding depends on documentation. Uh, be sure that every provider understands the differences between a telephone visit documentation, uh, sometimes they're a brief phone note, and a remote e documentation that has to have all the elements of the history, exam, and medical decision-making uh, that meets the criteria. Uh, There should always be a statement saying that it was patient initiated. Uh, There should always be a statement of what type of technology was utilized, whether it's telephone, a smartphone, uh, FaceTime, Zoom, et cetera. And most importantly, the duration of time spent on the day of the encounter. Above all, document enough history of medical decision making to support the medical necessity of the visit.
0: Okay. Thanks for that, Nancy. Now, you and I had talked offline earlier. You told me you've been talking to practices across the country. You've been giving webinars and other uh, consults for people as they try to figure out telehealth and coding as it's related to it. Um, what are some of the biggest pain points in implementing telehealth and making sure their patients have access to it?
1: Many practice have struggled with the fact that patients who are older or in rural areas who do not have the capability to use both audio and video uh, to have a telehealth visit. They may have a poor internet connection or they might not own a computer. Uh, there was a significant difference in reimbursement between the telephone only visits and the audio and video, but that was addressed in the recent April 30th revisions when the telephone code RBUs were increased to match the e levels of service. That does not mean that you can report an e code for something that was done over the phone, but you will get paid at the same level. There continues to be a need to be reimbursed for clinical staff time as well. I get a lot of questions about uh, work that the nurse is doing, and anyone in the office who's not um, a billing provider, uh, their time cannot be included in telemedicine, so that is another challenge.
0: Yeah, I wanted to go back to questions there that you're hearing. Is there Are there any other recurring questions that you hear no matter who you're talking to, what specialty of practice it is across the country that you know when you're presenting to them or consulting with them, this is the question they're going to be asking about?
1: It seems to be the place of service and why there was a change in reimbursement. They were given one set of instructions, they followed them, then they realized that the site of CIF- uh, service differential was causing them to get a lower reimbursement. And they were very surprised by that because they were depending on getting paid what they usually did for an E&M code. And and that was um, a lot of work to address in practices. And I don't think a lot of them are really over that hurdle. They may have staffing issues or training issues uh, that are preventing them from collecting the level that they should.
0: Okay. Now we've been going over some of the challenges, some of the problems of coding for telehealth in this, uh, COVID-19 environment, but let's celebrate some success stories. Do you have anything where you, you've worked with a practice and, uh, you've helped them find, a, you know, a way to solve these telehealth coding challenges?
1: Yes. Um, uh, with education, I, it was, very problematic for uh, a practice that called me uh, to identify the right codes based on um, the length of service, whether it's a brief check-in or an e and uh, what codes should be used, what place of service should be on the claim, uh, the modifiers. And they had a lot of mistakes in the beginning. And by making a simple um, Excel chart and creating a grid for them uh, with instructions line by line based on each scenario, they were able to go back and correct any mistakes that they made early on, and they have been getting much better reimbursement after they had some education.
0: Okay. Um, Now, do you have any resources or links we could point our audience to uh, that would be especially helpful to them?
1: I absolutely do. Uh, Next week um, in our Event we're going to have a PowerPoint presentation that is robust with resources. Uh, Off the top of my head, I can tell you that the AMA has a COVID-19 and non-COVID-19 scenario on their website. They have very helpful grids that walk the provider uh, through choosing based on who's providing the service, what the communication method was, and what the visit type was. Uh, So the, the AMA has been updating that considerably. Uh, Every time there's a change, they put a new date in the right top corner. uh, The last time it was updated, so you know what version you're looking at of their resource material. So that's been very helpful. And each major payer, uh, United, Cigna, Humana, uh, et cetera, also have telehealth billing guides on their websites. And it's really important to make sure that, depending on where a practice is in the country, that they check with their state department of health. And their major carriers that they contract with, because uh, what we're teaching uh, across the country is based on CMS. But as we know, if you have a contractor that has their own payment policy, you need to adjust and follow their uh, guidelines as well.
0: Okay. Now, these, as we've been talking about, these are some challenging times here. And I just want to give you an opportunity to provide us with, with some final thoughts that you'd like to share with our audience about coding telehealth, COVID-19, anything that you want to share there?
1: Sure. Uh, During the public health emergency, we're operating under reduced restrictions uh, related to coding and billing uh, because of all the 1135 waivers. When the public health emergency expires, uh, right now it is due to expire on June 30th unless the uh, Secretary of HHS decides to extend it. Uh, But be careful to watch for that end date. You don't want to um, keep operating as we are today uh, when the requirements across the country might be more stringent as the PHE is closing. Uh, So don't relax your rules forever. Be careful to watch for uh, the ending time. Also, keep in mind that before this pandemic hit, We were gearing up for another major coding change coming on January 1st, 2021. CMS has adopted some of the components of the 2021 guidelines for telemedicine uh, during the PHE period, because the elimination of the history and exam as criteria for scoring the code selection uh, is actually in place right now temporarily. Uh, They also have adopted the time thresholds in the 2021 guidelines uh, for CMS. So this indicates to me that the elimination of history and exam as key components when selecting an e m service level for 99202 through 99215 is almost certain to become a reality no later than January 1st, 2021. I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, left that in place and we started to uh, follow that uh, thinking a little sooner.
0: Yeah, Uh, Nancy, I want to thank you so much for sharing these thoughts with us today. And I look forward to hearing your full presentation. So thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. My pleasure.
0: That's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Care Credit for sponsoring this week's show. To learn more about how they're helping providers deliver a better patient financial experience, visit carecredit.com slash MGMA podcast. Also, thanks to our guest, Nancy Enos. If you're interested in joining Nancy for an even deeper dive into today's coding discussion, you won't want to miss the May 21st online seminar, Coding Essentials for the Non-Coder, with a spotlight on telehealth and COVID-19. Register for the seminar, which is eligible for ACMPE, ACHE, CME, CPE, and CEU credit at mgma.com slash events. You can also take advantage of MGMA's COVID-19 coding cheat sheet at mgma.com slash COVID-19 hyphen cheat sheet. To keep up with the latest regarding the pandemic, be sure to visit mgma.com slash COVID. And you can also connect with fellow members and healthcare peers At community.mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics today.